Welcome to the X Plus One podcast, where we meet you where you are with Jesus Christ every Tuesday and Friday, and seek to take you one step closer to Him. I'm your host, Luke Metzler, and man, oh man, am I excited for this new series. Seven episodes, seven weeks, talking about my absolute favorite thing to do on the earth, truly, and that is to spend time with Jesus in what we culturally call quiet time. In this series, I, I want to break down quiet time from a biblical perspective, and I want to break it down into seven disciplines, all of which I believe will help make up a fruitful, intimate, and truly edifying quiet time. I think in one way or another, we would all admit to having some struggles in our quiet times, and my hope is that this series can help open your eyes to some biblical disciplines that you can implement into your quiet times to help you bring you into greater intimacy with Christ. And that's the goal, greater intimacy with Jesus. That's what it's all about, and I truly want to help you in your pursuit of that And that's why I'm so excited for this series, because I really, really believe it will help you in your pursuit of Christ and your intimacy with him. Now, with all that said, today I want to talk about reading the Bible. Surprise. (laughs) An obvious essential to quiet time, reading the word. In fact, I would assume for most of you listening, when you think of quiet time, you probably immediately think of Bible reading. And obviously, that's not the only aspect of quiet time, which we will come to know in later weeks, but it is where I think it's best to start this series. And when it comes to reading your Bible, I believe the majority of you listening today fall into one of three categories. One, you read and you have absolutely no idea what's going on. I would say you're like me in any science class that I've ever been in because in those classes I was always present and listening to every word, but it all went straight over my head. And maybe that's like you, present and desiring to learn, but struggling and confused just like me in any science class, specifically physics. For you, you would say that it's hard to understand what is going on in the Bible and that it's really hard to relate to. Now, some of you don't fall in that category. You may fall in the second category, which I would say is you read the Bible like any other textbook. This would be you if you read your Bible consistently, maybe even every day, but you never feel like it's speaking to you. Though the word of God says itself in Hebrews 4.12 that it's living and active, you would say it doesn't feel that way to you. If anything, it, it just feels like an ordinary historical text. And because of that, your, your Bible reading feels more like homework than, than a holy interaction. And then lastly, I think some of you would fall into the, the third category, which I would call the read and forget category. You read your Bible faithfully every day, maybe every morning, every night, maybe even both. But if someone asked you what you read later in the day or later in the week, you wouldn't be able to answer them. You're someone who reads, but you don't remember. Maybe you even think that's normal and good. But I'm here to tell you today, there's so much more to your Bible reading. There's more to all of this. Reading your Bible is more than just reading a historical text. And it's more than a routine thing that we do and then forget about. Reading our Bible is not homework. It truly is a holy interaction. The Bible is also something that we can totally understand and relate to so long as we know how to approach reading it. And that's what I want to focus on today. Wherever you may be in your Bible reading, I want to encourage you today to read with a purpose. However, before I share what that purpose is, I want to first clarify the reason why We have quiet time because before we can even begin to approach our Bible reading and reading with a purpose, we need to know and understand why we even have quiet time to begin with. And the answer as to why we have quiet time, I think, is very simple. We have quiet time to be and to become. To be with Christ and to become 
more like him, to be in his presence, to be intentional about seeking him in relationship and investing in that and to become more like his character, to become more gracious, more loving, more merciful, more humble, the the virtues of, of that nature, to be and to become. But there's another B in this quiet time equation, a third B, and that B is what goes in between the being with Christ and the becoming like Christ. And it also happens to be the purpose of our Bible reading. So what is that in between, you might ask? What is that purpose? Well, that in between, that purpose is to behold God's glory, to be, to behold, to become. That's why we have quiet time. Those are the three foundational aspects or components of quiet time, the three B's, if you will, to be with God, first and foremost, just to be with him in his presence, and then to to behold him in his glory, and then lastly, to become more like him, to be, to behold, and to become. Now, that might leave you wondering, why should beholding glory, that in-between, why should beholding glory be the purpose of my Bible reading? Maybe you're, you're like my mom and you think that word behold is just ancient and confusing. Maybe you don't even know what it means or maybe you think it's insignificant. But beholding God's glory, it is so, so significant to our quiet times. It's so important. And although, yes, I admit the word behold may seem ancient, but I promise you it's actually relevant and very necessary for our quiet times. And today I want to explain to you why. So I want you for a second to just imagine being in heaven. You're face to face with your maker for the first time and he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. At that moment, you finally get to see and behold Jesus for who he fully is, to fully see his glory and worship him. That moment and that place, it's gonna be an incredible experience of God's glory, an experience that we look forward to and one that we will only know fully in the future. But here's the thing. Yes, it is true. We will only experience God's glory fully in the future, but that doesn't mean we will experience God's glory only in the future. Do you hear what I'm saying? We can experience some of God's glory now. Paul writes on this in 2 Corinthians 3.18 saying, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Isn't that verse incredible? I love, I love that verse. I mean, look at that phrase, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In Paul's time, mirrors, they were made of polished metal, which is a material that gave off a a clouded, somewhat distorted image. That meant when you looked in a mirror back then, you wouldn't have a full, clear image of yourself. You certainly had a guess of what you looked like, but you didn't have a perfect image. It wasn't like any mirror that you'd see today. So what Paul's saying here in this verse, he's saying that we can see the glory of the Lord and we can see it now, but we just can't see it perfectly. We can't see it fully. And we won't see it perfectly. We won't see it fully until we are with Jesus in heaven. But again, that doesn't mean we can't see it now. And if we continue on in that verse, Paul answers a question. I think it's a very important question. And that question is, why behold glory? And he says that while we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, here it is. He says we are being transformed into his same image, God's same image from glory to glory. And that word transformed that Paul uses there means to be changed in composition or structure, which means change 
from the inside out. So as we behold the glory of Christ, God will change us from the inside out. He will change the composition of our heart from one that is deceitful above all things and of the flesh to one that is more like his. In other words, that means as we behold Christ and we behold his glory, we become more like him. You see the quiet time pattern here? As we behold, we become. The late, great Tim Keller noted in a sermon of his something that I think really might help you understand this point. He said that in modern advertising, they no longer want to sell us a product by by simply telling us about it, but rather by showing us it. And Keller says that's because we tend to want what we see. And why is that so? Well, that's because we're attracted to beauty. And I've said this before, we're attracted to the beauty of a man or a woman, the beauty of a, a sport, the beauty of a dress, of a car, the beauty of jewelry. We are attracted to beauty. We tend to want what we see. And we tend to want more of what we're attracted to what we find beautiful. And that's exactly what Paul is encouraging us to do in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's telling us to behold the beauty and glory of Christ, to see it. He's saying that on earth, though only through an imperfect and distorted view, we can gaze upon and behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will continually want more and more of him because we do tend to want what we see, and we are attracted to beauty, and nothing, absolutely nothing, is more beautiful and desirable and glorious than the character and person of Jesus Christ. That's why when I'm with Christ, I want more of him. That's why I want to become more like him. I want to be transformed. It's because his character is just that beautiful, his glory just that great. Truly, God is worthy of our constant attention and our worship. So it's when we do this, Paul writes, when we choose to be and to behold the glory of Christ, that we will be transformed, that we will become more like him. To be, to behold, and then to become. Now an example of someone in scripture who chose to behold glory is David. In Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2, David says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Do you get that? David is saying because he sought after God and because his soul and flesh thirsted for more of him, he chose to behold his power and glory. And I love this because I think David's words here elaborate exactly on the heart of quiet time. It's a heart that desires and seeks God earnestly as David does. And because of that, it's a heart that chooses to behold God's power and glory, which David does in these verses. And what David shows us here is that the action of beholding God's glory is the result or the fruit of the desire for and pursuit of him. In other words, because we want to be with God, we choose to behold God. Now, I want to talk about that word, behold. I have said it a lot already in this one episode, and I'm sure many of you are wondering exactly what that means. Like, what does it mean to behold the glory of God or to behold his beauty? It's like one of those phrases where it's like, man, that sounds really good. It sounds cool, but what does that mean? I'm lost. And if that's you, let me explain. The word behold refers to seeing, and it means more than a glance. It's a gaze. Beholding is a careful and continuous look. 
some versions of that verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that I've been talking about say contemplate in place of behold. So we can be transformed by the glory and beauty of the Lord, but only when we gaze at it, when we contemplate it, when we carefully study it. Let me put it to you this way. Let me ask you this. Would you spend a few minutes, just a few minutes, looking at your notes in order to prepare for a difficult exam? Would you just glance over them and then just freely take the test? See, of course not. Your exam is far too difficult and your grade far too important to do that. You would spend hours upon hours carefully looking over the material and studying in order to prepare. You would gaze. You would contemplate. You would carefully study. And that is what it means to behold. In relation to our quiet times, it means you continuously spend time gazing, contemplating, and carefully studying God's word, his character, and his glory. Because life, like the exam, is far too difficult and the culture far too ungodly for us to believe that we will impact the world for Christ by simply spending a few minutes a day in quiet time with him. The truth is the world will impact you. So we have to read with the purpose of beholding glory so that we may be transformed by the word and not by the world. But here's the thing, though. It may only take reading one word in the Bible, just one, for you to behold the glory of God. It also may take multiple chapters. I think often many of you listening, you, you wonder how much scripture you should read as part of your quiet time. And my encouragement is to read until you behold glory. Let his word transform you. I remember for me, two summers ago, I got stuck on the word majestic in Psalm chapter 8, and I studied it for hours. Studied it for hours. And then a few weeks later that same summer, I got stuck on the phrase jars of clay in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And all of a sudden, I studied pottery for two hours. Like beforehand, I had no interest in pottery. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm going to study pottery. At those moments, those, those words were, and those phrases were what helped me behold the glory of God. They were what had me contemplate and gaze. They stood out to me. Now that word majestic or that phrase jars of clay, they may not stand out to you at all like they did to me, but something will. Something will. And I encourage you to read until something does. And that's what's so beautiful to me about God's word. It's personal. What makes me behold glory may be completely different from what makes you behold glory. And I love that. Like I said earlier, the word of God truly is living and active. It's a talking book that walks and talks with you every single day. And that's what makes it so beautiful. If you're sad, it is sad with you. If you're happy, it is happy with you. It weeps when we weep and rejoices when we rejoice. There truly is, is no other setting other than the church where a word can be preached, a sermon can be preached, and people are rejoicing and shouting for joy, and there are also people weeping in tears. The Bible meets us on whatever level we're at. It is unique and special in that way. It's personal, and we truly cannot outgrow it. It will always be personal. It will always be growing with you as you grow. And I want to say, quick side note, I mean, please don't be afraid to use a devotional or a commentary. There are people who have legitimately studied one particular verse their whole stinking lives. <laughs> and if you were confused with what you were reading, truly, there is nothing wrong with looking at a commentary for help. I'll say for me, I personally read commentaries all the time. I think commentaries and devotionals are your friend and they will help you behold the glory of God 
in your Bible reading. So please don't be afraid to use them. Now to bring it back, back to what I was saying, the Bible is personal and beholding God's glory in quiet time is what helps make it personal. And when quiet time becomes personal, it becomes intimate. It's like a kiss because a kiss is love manifested. You're connected to it. You enjoy it and you want more of it. Now that might throw some of you off, me saying quiet time is like a kiss, but I hope you can understand the example that I'm trying to make. Every kiss you have is unique and a special expression of love. And every kiss you have is something that you remember. And our quiet time every day should be no different. It should be a unique and special connection or expression of love between us and the Lord. And it should always be something that we remember. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you, would you characterize your quiet time as something special, something intimate, something that you cannot forget? Would you describe it as love made manifest in you? Would you say you're experiencing Christ's love for you? I get disheartened by those of you who say your Bible reading is like reading a historical textbook. That's boring. (laughs) Nobody wants to do that. No wonder it is hard for you to remain consistent in the word. If this is you, your Bible reading hasn't become personal yet. It hasn't become special. It's not intimate. Your quiet time is more like homework or a chore than it is a kiss, and that's not what you want. And for those of you who read and then forget what you read later in the day or the week, would, would you forget a kiss? Of course not, because a kiss is something special. Like I said, it's unique. It's love manifested. And ultimately, that is what we want as Christians in quiet time. We want God's love to be made manifest in our lives. We want to be in his presence. We want to experience his goodness. We want more of him. Now, by no means am I telling you to chase feelings or to chase goosebumps. They're great, and it's awesome if you have them, but they can be misleading. Remember, we ask the Lord for daily bread, not daily sugar. We're not after spiritual highs in our quiet time. We're after spiritual nourishment and sustained spiritual growth through time spent in relationship with Christ. So that is my encouragement to you today. Exercise the discipline of reading to behold God's glory, choosing to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, allowing him to transform you into his same image from glory to glory. I'll see you all next week when we talk about M&M and not the candy. I love you all. God bless. Wait, 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 wait. It's Luke here. Before outro music, I just want to say, if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, I would really appreciate it if you would share this with someone else. If this has been edifying to you, encouraging to you, and you think someone could benefit from it, it would mean a lot to me if you were to share it with somebody else. I think my content is my gift to you. The time I put in is my gift to you, and it would be your gift to me to share that with somebody else, and I would greatly appreciate it. Now roll that outro music, baby.